0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. Today's special guest is head men's soccer coach at Keystone College, Joe Sneck. So Joe is coming off uh, two back-to-back CSAC champions, championships, and it pains me to say that because I used to coach against Joe, but happy for him and all the success that he's having that he's brought to Keystone to to make the CSAC that much harder. So Joe, thanks for coming on.
1: Uh, Jesse, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course, of course. So Joe,
1: um, you know, I, I
0: first, before we get into kind of your success at Keystone, um, you know, I want to start with your playing days. So, uh, a graduate of TCNJ, you know, what, when did you kind of figure out that coaching was going to be a career path for you?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, like you said, I played at TCNJ, did my four years there, um, played starting there in 2000 and, uh, and then our, you know, the assistant coach at TCNJ, at the time was always the graduate assistant. So thankfully we had a graduate program and each of the teams had a, gra- had a graduate assistant coach. And it just so happened, obviously it was a two year cycle. And so the year I was graduating, uh, our GA was, was, uh, graduating as well. And so, uh, our head coach, uh, George uh, Nazario approached me at the time and, and asked if I'd be interested in, in taking the GA position, um, after, after graduating. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to think about it very long. Uh, I, I, clearly didn't, I didn't have a real great idea of what I wanted to do. I had started doing right. some coaching, um, when I was, uh, still as an undergraduate with, uh, some of my teammates had started a little bit of a training company. And so, um, you know, not knowing, ha- having a real clear path in terms of professional, and then the opportunity to go back and get your master's degree, uh, for free was, was something I couldn't turn down. So that, I, that's kind of how I stumbled into, I guess, be, becoming a, a GA there and starting my coaching career at the collegiate level. So.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, you were, for those who don't know TCNJ, the college of New Jersey, sorry, but, um, so you were a team captain. And what what I want to know is being, you know, playing in the NJAC one, you know, it's a, it's a tough conference top to bottom. Yep. And so what, what is, you know, what was your leadership style as a captain of that team and how, and how did, you know, you feel that you led successfully?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Um, and so I think so some of the things that you need to think about is when I when I came into that program, a lot of those guys that, that were upperclassmen and so on, they had, you know, had some really successful teams there, you know, played in the national championship game or different things like that. So, you know, you're just kind of, you're the new guy, so you're kind of taking everything in and... You're taking, uh, you know, you're learning the environment and who your teammates are and the kind of things that that you know they're about and how they're leading, and then obviously you have your coach's style of leadership and so on. And so you're kind of just processing all these things and and building kind of your own your own um, style, you would say, as you go. But really, I think what what gets you into that position or what allows you to be in that position of leadership is just. Kind of how you've conducted yourself, of course, in the program to start with, right? And my thing all the time was you, you just put your head down, you work. I didn't say a whole lot, um, but you you're consistent, right? And I think I think if I kind of had a way to um, describe my style, even now these days, it's it's being consistent with what you do. And I think so. I think that was early on in my in my career was you're a consistent guy. You treat people the right way. Uh, you have respect, obviously, for the people in authority. You have respect for all members of the team, not just the guys that are the best players or, or kind of the, the, the ones in the starting lineup. And, um, and I think that that goes a long way in, in gaining other people's respect. And, and then in terms of when you become the leader, um, I don't think much had to change. You know, It was treating people the, the right way again and um, just kind of being more of a leader by example than, than anything else. I, I certainly wasn't a rah-rah guy. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, that's just maybe not my personality.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Not, not, meant. you know, not everyone's meant to be a rah-rah guy, yeah. but, um, so when you made that transition to graduate assistant, yeah. did did some of the guys like not almost treat you with a little bit less respect, but they, did they kind of, did you kind of sense, um, where they almost don't really take your word for what you're trying to tell them just because you're a brand new coach?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting um, and that's and that's we've had some of those situations where I've had young assistant coaches here and different things. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, it's it's not easy. That's not an easy transition right. to make to go right from being, you know, a teammate to then being a coach. But I mean, clearly I wasn't the head coach. Right. So that's and, and for anyone who's right. been an assistant coach and then become a head coach, you know, that the, the roles are are very, very different and the expectations are very different in terms of your relationships with the guys or in different things like that. But, um, I, I think it was, again, as long as there was that basis of respect for each other where you have to say no to certain things and, um, and maybe the dynamics a little bit, uh, changed. I, I didn't find it all too difficult. And, and again, I wasn't, you know, um, harsh, you know, in, in terms of my, my coaching, uh, style or things like that so it didn't put a ton of pressure on guys I was more there I was learning from our head coach clearly now I could see the other side of it you know you were a player but now to see the other side of it so you're kind of aligned with the head coach now as opposed to the players but I think there was a a good enough level of respect there between uh, mutual respect where it it wasn't too much of an issue for me Um, but I, I can clearly see how if you behaved in a certain way as an undergraduate or you know had certain um habits or different things that transition to them becoming the assistant coach uh would be more challenging
0: yeah for sure you know i think it's an interesting transition you know i think for me too it was one where i just kind of sat back and let you know you know i mean you know josh and keith just kind of coach and i was there to say my points when i need to say it and you know it, it does become an interesting dynamic because you know Three months ago, you got you you know you were out with these guys and you were hanging out, and now three months later, you're you're you know you're in a different position and you're quote coaching them. So yeah. it, it's an odd transition.
1: Yeah. But
0: but you know, like you mentioned, the mutual respect I think is what everybody needs to to build a successful relationship. So you touched on an interesting thing about how relationships from assistant to head coach change. Yeah. Can you kind of describe maybe how your relationships with I mean, you went to a different school, but how yeah. that relationship does change from assistant to head coach?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, you know one of the one of the joys of being an assistant coach is that you can you know you have really really close relationships with your players in a lot of ways because at least in my case, I was closer to them in age than uh, than I am with with my players now, of course, uh, mm-hmm. becoming a head coach. Um, but I think the dynamic changes, right? I think I think as an assistant coach, you're number one, your, your first priority is staying loyal to the head coach. So in, in, in my eyes, that's what I always, uh, that's what I always did when I was an assistant. And I was an assistant under three different, three different head coaches, uh, w- you know, one or my time at TC and and then, uh, also at Cornell. And, um, and I, so, so that was always my first priority, but it'll, it, because you're not the one that's, that's um not putting them in the starting lineup you're not the one that's you know telling them they're getting cut um you know in terms of the head coach those responsibilities falling to him i think you're you you are able to develop these really close relationships and and just devote the kind of time because you don't have those big responsibilities that you have as a head coach which are you know, meet, you know, alumni relationships and different things like that, that you have to spend mm-hmm. time doing, uh, particularly at the division one level, then you can develop these types of relationships. You have time to go out and do extra, you know, finishing with your forwards or, um, you know, just those types of moments where relationships are built. Right. And, um, Absolutely. I think, I think you, I really cherish that, you know, I love being an assistant coach. Obviously there's some drawbacks, but you know, in terms of your right. schedule and, you know, you're going to recruit when, Uh, You have to go Mm -hmm. recruit and different things like that. But I loved, I love the dynamics and the relationship and, and it it changes, you know, not that my dynamics of the relationship aren't great now they are, but it's certainly different from a head coach to an assistant coach.
0: Right. Very understandable. Um, So you finish up your two years at TCNJ, you have your master's and now you, you take a position at Cornell. So, you know, what, what was your first role at Cornell? Like? And then what, or, you know, and how did you start to feel yourself developing a coaching style from TCNJ? Like, were you running sessions at TCNJ or kind of just sitting back and observing?
1: Um, no, I, I I was pretty uh, involved, I would say. So I think during one of the, I can remember during one of the preseasons, our head, at, this is at TCNJ, I was there for two years, so two, two of the seasons. Um, I think our head coach had, had, a, had a death in the family and he had to go out of the country for a few days during preseason. And, um, I remember running the team for, I think it was two or two or three days. I forget what it was. Um, and uh, I thought that was great. That was, that was an awesome opportunity and, uh, to just learn, right. I mean, coaching is, you you can, you can read a thousand books on it. You can watch a hundred video sessions, but you got to go out there and do it. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a, that was, you know, a good confidence builder for me to know that you can handle a college team. And, and put together sessions that are hopefully enjoyable for the guys, but also you're you're still obviously getting the work done that you need to get done. Right. So, um, so yeah. And, and then I, I think I had a bigger role if I remember correctly, I think in one of the Springs uh, George allowed me to do either all the sessions or most of the sessions, I forget it was. So, so that was uh, that, those are invaluable experiences. Um, And now, now moving up, up the ladder. So um, going into Cornell. Yeah. I mean, it was, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. i had been at the Division three level, but, um, you know, it was a whole nother level in terms of the, the athletes that you're dealing with and, and just the the infrastructure, you would say, around the sport was, you know, it was eye opening. But um, I was fortunate. It was late in the process. And, and this may be a little bit of a, an aside, but um, maybe it's in some encouragement for some coaches out there that are struggling to kind of find find a, a role or a, or a place particularly in this in this uh, environment now with with covid but um you know i was i had been applying to a lot of jobs uh, soccer jobs and um you know to so- i had applied to some jobs where you know we had played some of these schools maybe uh when i was when i was an undergraduate and I can remember at, at one particular school, I won't say the name of it, but the, the goalkeeper didn't even wear gloves. You know, we, we'd be beating them 10 nothing. you know, and so applying for roles in these types of, uh, you know, right. uh, small Division III uh, jobs. And, uh, you know, wasn't getting really anything. And, um, you know, whether it was they already had a person, in, you know, in, in mind or not. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, you know, my uh, George, the head coach of TCJ said, hey, what about uh, Cornell? They just had an assistant position open. And I said, where's that? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jersey guy. <laughs> I, I wasn't well right, versed right. in the uh, the Ivy League at that point. And so, um, you know, so, it, you know, w- went up there. It was the, the assistant coach had left late in the game. His wife had gotten a job elsewhere. So they were moving. And so it was, I think, even early August, uh, right before preseason was about to start, went up there and interviewed. And I was moving up there, I think, two or three days later. Um, and th- thankfully, Brian Scales, who was the head coach at the time, took a chance on me. Uh, it was a big chance, a big risk, obviously. Uh, I, I knew that. Um, but it was more like, hey, let's see how it goes for, for six months and and uh you know, see how it works. And so Yes. Yeah, so. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, so just a little bit of an interim interim process where you have to kind of start from ground zero and start to try and build yourself up, right?
0: Yeah, so so how did you one, you know, sell yourself in that interview, like just with two years of division three experience to get a you know, to jump to that division one level, how did you sell yourself and then how did you again prove yourself during the season?
1: Yeah, no, I and, and if I was being completely honest, I don't remember much from the interview other being overwhelmed <laughs> and, and and you know, it's an incredible campus and just it's a special place, right? If if you've ever been onto a campus like that where you're going, wow, this is this is awesome. So right. I think I was probably overwhelmed at the time. And and I and to be honest, I think they were probably a little bit desperate at the time as well. They were they were running out of time to bring an assistant in, but um you know, so I, I think uh, there probably had to have been a conversation I would think between obviously George, my, the coach that I'd worked for and Brian. Um, and then just right. kind of uh, stressing that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm i I'm a guy who likes to help people grow. And, and, and again, I don't know obviously what Brian was looking for specifically other than um, he needed someone. But I think at that time I was, you know, just beginning to, you know, gain a little bit of confidence as a coach and and try to figure out that, Hey, I, I can try and help people, um, you know, be better than they were the year before or, and, and start to build those types of relationships. So, um, for me, coaching is about relationships. And, and so I I think, uh, I think the combination of the fact that I had had a little bit of, you know, we'd had success at TCNJ, we had been the uh, elite eight the the year before, and, um, we'd had, you know, had some good young players develop. And I think just the combination of uh, the fact they needed someone and 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 I was uh, available, I think was 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 most of it. To be honest, makes sense. Yeah,
0: but I mean, you know, obviously you're doing something right at starting at TCNJ to have George recommend you, yeah, and you know put his name on the line too. But yep. so wh- in that first year, what was your main responsibility in helping develop those players and kind of you know what did you do on a day to day and even in the off season basis?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think I think one of the biggest responsibilities that I was tasked with right away was just the scouting. Part of things, right? And, uh, you know, I had a little bit of experience with, with computers and, and video editing and, 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 and chopping up video. And, you know, we didn't have anything fancy at the time. I think some people were using uh, Game Breaker or different, you know, uh, video editing programs. But I would just had my trusty old Mac and, uh, you know, was chopping things up in uh, MPEG Stream Clip. But um, I think, yeah, you know, I can remember. Uh, putting together scouting reports early on, you know, and it's uh, and just some video clips of the upcoming opponents. So that was that was part of it. Uh, video breakdown after games, that was clearly part of it. Um, and then just working kind of individually with the smaller groups, right? So taking, you know, we had a goalkeeper coach at the time. So the goalkeeper coach takes the goalkeepers. I take, you know, five or six forwards. And then, you know, Brian would take, you know, the, the back half of the team or something like that, right? So working with the team in small settings. And then obviously being a resource for the guys to be, to go out and to work on extra things, whether it's, you know, finishing or, you know, finishing with, with the goalkeepers or different things like that and just being available. Right. And I think, I think that's where those develop, the, those relationships started to develop and, um, and you start to, you know, build some equity into, into your role and, uh, you know, you become, a, you know, a member of the team in that way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what, what was it about?
0: Uh, about Brian that kind of attracted you to him and what did you learn most from him during your time under him as a coach, as an assistant?
1: Yeah, I think, I think Brian was, you know, he's a great guy, a great family guy, you know, and I actually, it it was a, it was a great learning experience for me. Um, You know, he'd been very successful and uh, had a lot of good teams there and, and, um, you know, he played at a very high level. Um, And so uh, just had a lot of great connections. And, but for me, the biggest thing was, seeing him manage how to be uh, a great coach, but then also how to be a good family guy at the same time, right? And that's, and that's not easy. There's a lot of stress, particularly at the Division I level on coaches. There's a lot of demands on their time. Um, like I said, from alumni, there was a huge fundraising component, as I'm sure a lot of Division One coaches feel that, uh, to, to their roles, right? And now you have to introduce all these dynamics with alumni and, 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 and different things like that. Um, and, then all the, and then you're recruiting nationally and internationally, and um and just there, there's a lot of demands. And for him to see that he had a young family at the time was uh, was kind of had a great front seat to that and uh, or front row seat to that. And and uh, I appreciated just uh, his authenticity because he's a, a genuinely very good guy. And um, so those were those were a lot of things. And then just, you know, watching him run different sessions and different tactical ideas. And uh, just the way he kind of managed the team, it was, uh you know, it, it was it was all. I was overwhelmed to try and learn everything, but I was taking a lot of notes. I I can remember, I think for first two years, I wrote down every session that we did, you know, with notes after it, after practice, of course, I was young and single and I had the time to do that. And, you know, (laughs) I was living with a couple of graduate students from Cordell and just, it was an, an, it was an incredible experience, but uh, more so just a learning experience where you start to get introduced to different people and to different ideas. And, uh, it was really, uh, it, it was, uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. For sure.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're obviously you're doing the right things to, to mm-hmm. advance your career. But yeah. so when Brian left, mm-hmm. you know, what was your reaction and did you want to stay? Did you want to go? And, you know, I don't know who stepped in after that, but obviously you'll fill us in. Yeah. And, you know, then again, you know, how did that transition period go for you?
1: Oh, that was interesting. It, it, it was it was wild. Um, I think at the time they were, you know, I was part of the search process for the new head coach. Um, lot of great how many family. years
0: in were you at this point uh say?
1: it was that was after my third year after my third okay. year so 06 07 did you, to, did you want to take over um i i wasn't ready i was not ready yeah. um didn't you know that, that was a big job and and the names um you know that it, it was just i wasn't ready for that and i and i knew that um but thankfully they let me stay in as you know part of the process right that obviously they couldn't guarantee me anything of when when a new coach was hired what 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 my standing was going to be because that was going to be up to the head coach, but I was happy to help out. Uh, certainly there were a lot of people giving me advice in terms of you should leave now, you should um, stay through, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of different things that I had to weigh at the time, but it was a, a little bit uh, overwhelming at the time because now I'm acting as the head coach. They didn't make a hire. If I remember correctly, Brian left sometime, you know, obviously after the season in late November, maybe early December. And I don't think we eventually hired until, you know, maybe, I don't know, sometime into March or something like that. So for, for a couple of oh, wow. months there, I was running, you know, as well as I yeah. could, a Division one program, uh, trying to <laughs> keep the alumni uh, uh, in, involved and, um, you know, obviously doing we, – we did a phone-a-thon every year, so I ran that. And then you're trying to recruit in the midst of not having a head coach and trying to keep guys in the, in the mix and at least interested. Um, and then at the same time, you're you are running individual, you know, in the Ivy League, you were allowed to do small group sessions during the winter months. Um, and so trying to do that as best as I could, it was, uh, it was quite a lot, but it was, it was, uh, like I said, always a, a learning on the job type of experience. And, um, you right. know, at the, at the, now you can look back on it and go, wow, I, I learned a ton in those few months, um, when you kind of get forced into something, but yeah, there was a le- certainly a lot of uncertainty and there were some of the jobs that came up uh, during, during that time and, you know, ultimately didn't decide to pursue them or, or to kind of put too much into that. I figured I would take my chances there. I enjoyed being there, which is one of the reasons that I decided to try and stay through the transition. Although there wasn't that, um, hundred percent certainty that that was going to happen. Right. So
0: I want to run a step quickly. So why, you know, why, why are alumni so important to, to a program?
1: Well, I think, I think at the, uh, particularly at the, uh, in the Ivy league, obviously there's a lot of tradition and a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, um, I guess effort that goes into making sure the alumni are connected into the program, which, you know, fundraising is, is a big part of the job. Um, obviously, there's big budgets at that level. And, uh, yes, it is at the Division I level, but particularly at a place like Cornell, which doesn't, you know, it's not, um, you know, big-time college football in a sense in terms of, you know, bowl games and different things like that where it's bringing money in. Then a lot of that money has to be fundraised, right? And so, right, okay. um, in terms of operating budgets or different things like that, uh, because keep in mind the, the the travel and and everything is is farther away, so it's more expensive, right? Where you're flying places, right. sometimes you're going on longer trips where there's a couple of hotel stays, a nights hotel stay involved in that trip, and so uh, everything's just more expensive. So, um, you know, so I think I think the alumni are a huge part of of every division one program to be honest and probably none more so than at the Ivy league school where there's a ton of pride and tradition and, and uh, how much they care about the program, which is awesome. Um, but it takes work and it takes making sure that there's an alumni committee and that everyone's on the same board and that, you know, you're, you're raising money because that's a part of the job at at that level.
0: Right. And, And so how did you keep recruits interested in Cornell? Um, you know, during that head coaching search,
1: Yeah, it was really hard. Um, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it was really hard because we hadn't had the greatest season. We had had a tough season that, that fall. And, um, and, you know, so you're, you're trying to sell recruits, even though obviously Cornell f- world-class education and uh, not much has to be sold in terms of the academic part of it. And, and right. a lot of people wanted to come, but that's not the challenge. It's, it's getting the right ones to come. Right. Uh, because there's a lot of kids that, that are really smart and pretty good soccer players, but are they the right ones for your program? Right. And so that was the challenge of making sure that we were setting a vision. And I, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I did at Cornell, I, I kind of had to start. Well, when I first got here to Keystone as well, which was trying to set the um, the vision for not where we were because you're certainly not selling that in a way, but where you mm-hmm. want to be and where you want to go. And I'll never forget when I was, I, um, our, I think our softball team had just won the Ivy League championship. And so I thought that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try and set up a, um, um, a situation to, to show recruits that um, this is where we want to be. And can you see where we're headed? And so I remember getting one of our players dressed up in, uh, in his game uniform, you know, and I had him hold the softball, the Ivy League softball trophy up. <laughs> and I did a little bit of a mock photo shoot or different things. I think we photoshopped right. the, the, the men's Ivy League championship trophy into his hands. Uh, so it wasn't the softball one anymore, but it was the men's soccer one, put him in front of a big crowd of people like, you know, on a, on a background, um, you know, photoshopped the picture onto a crowd and, uh, and, and wrote, can you see it? You know, and basically trying to sell recruits that, uh, yeah, you know, the education that you're going to get when you come here, that's, that's a non-negotiable. Um, but soccer wise, you're going to, we're going someplace and do you want to be a part of it? And do you want to be a part of it at the ground level? And, um, so and I, and I told that story when I got to Keystone. And so the story is this, you know, that we went from a team that those recruits that eventually decided to join us that that year um you know, were were then uh the Ivy League champions I think 4 years later. And uh, I think f- awesome. 15 1-1 one one was our record at the time. We lost to Syracuse in the in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but um you know, we had gone from a, a one-win team to a 15-win team, and that was under the, the leadership of of, uh, of Yarrow, the, the new head coach that was hired. And um, obviously most of it had to do with him and the recruiting classes that we put together and so on. But I think keeping those kids interested in the interim um, was, you know, just part of that process of trying to put together that recruiting class.
0: Right. So, you know, before, so you just mentioned Yarrow was hired.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What? But, you know, along that search, what were you kind of looking for and a head coach for the program. And, and then again, you know, you didn't even know if he was going to keep you on board or yeah. not. So what were you looking for in a, in that, I guess, new boss or new head coach,
1: if you will? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I don't, I don't even know if I was looking for anything in particular other than, um, you know, trying to get to, to get, I mean, I was a part of the process, right? So I think, I, I think I went out to lunch with them. That was part of my thing is that I got to go out to lunch with each of the candidates and, and you know, just kind of get to know them. There wasn't anything real formal. It's not like I had a list of questions to ask, but just just to kind of have them, you know, learn from me about what the program was about. Because obviously, an interview is kind of this mutual exchange of information, right? Um, and um, and so you know, as I went to to lunch with each of the candidates, um, just trying to kind of learn, like you know, you know, what their philosophy was. Uh, what do they? what are they going to th- to bring into the program what do they think you know what do they know about the program i i, rem- I remember that being a part of the process was me kind of filling them on, in on on you know what's what's the makeup of the team what's the you know what's the dynamic right. like and trying to give them as much information as they as they could to uh to see if it was a good fit for them too right um so, and I remember just, it, it was really incredible to sit there with a lot of great coaches and to listen to their, you know, hear their, 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 uh, pitches. And, you know, a lot of them had pamphlets they would hand me and say, here, here's my plan for, here's my five-year plan for Cornell. And, um, so it was a really instructional experience, even though I was obviously part of that process, but, uh, and then just sitting down with our assistant athletic director after it and saying, Hey, what do you think? What'd you think of this guy? What do you think of his background? What do you think he would be successful here? And so just kind of giving my my input into, obviously, I knew the team, I knew the dynamic of the team, and what I felt like the team needed at that time. And and again, uh, right. it's not like, you know, obviously, the people above me were making those decisions, but maybe my input, you know, had a little bit of uh, of, of bearing on, you know, eventually who they decided on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when, when Yara was hired, you know, a couple of years in, what were some of the similarities between him and Brian, and where did they differ in some ways? And and why do you think you guys were successful? Well, I guess in your second stint as an assistant, if if you will, during yeah. time, then more so in the first.
1: Um, yeah, that's a great question. Definitely a contrast in styles. Um, you know, to Yaro's credit, he he like Brian came in and gave me a chance. You know, so I have I'm indebted to both of those guys for for giving me a chance mm-hmm. at, at a at a place where. You know it's a pretty special place, and uh, and has a lot of soccer history, and a lot of have had some great teams there. So um, certainly a lot of a lot of uh, gratitude to both those guys. Um, you know, Yaro came in and said, "Look, um, don't know you that well, but I'm going to give you a chance." And uh, again, it was it was prove yourself again. So it was another six month trial, sure. right? Of of uh, you know. Let's see how it goes and see if we work well together. And 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 just because someone doesn't, um, you know, necessarily keep someone on or different things like that is, um, you know, he could have just as easily had a guy in mind or a guy lined up that he was going to bring with him. And maybe it wasn't as much about me as it was about you know the the guy that he just had a familiarity with working with. Um, but uh, I will say, you know, he credit to him because he gave me a chance and he didn't need to. And so now it was back to kind of square one in terms of um, proving myself again to a new boss. And I think, like I said, that the one consistent with me the whole time has been, um, loyalty, loyalty to the, to the head coach first. Uh, I know as a head coach, I pride that a lot. And, uh, and I think I'd like to think of myself as a loyal person. So, um, you you're on their side, you're their confidant and you're, you're trying to help them be as successful as they can possibly be in, in whatever way what, whatever that looks like for that, for that head coach. Um, so, so yeah, in terms of the, the similarities and the differences, um, yeah, definitely a contrast in style, you know, I mean, uh, Yaro, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was, uh, you know, very, very serious and very, um, you know, drove the guys very hard and demanded a lot and huge fitness standards and, uh, and, uh, you know, just very, um, you know, just a different, a different style of leadership. Right. And where uh, Brian was a little bit more laid back and uh, and a little bit more easygoing, still demanding, but um, just a different a different mentality, right? And um, and so it was it was new to me, right? It was new to me, uh, but it was great to learn under because you saw the things that worked well. One of the things that Yaro immediately did when he came in was put this huge emphasis on athleticism, and uh, vertical jumps and. Uh, you know, and, and priding ourselves that we were going to have guys that were really athletic and a team that was really athletic and, and to start to recruit guys like this and to make sure that um, we were not going to be, um, you know, out muscled or outrun on the field. Right. And so I think as part of a program that had struggled, I think that was a big step for us to try and start to say, OK, you know, soccer wise, we're going to keep developing along, but we need to change this. Uh, the athleticism factor and those different things that, that go into competing, you know, just competing in, in, in the most uh, basic term uh, that go into it. And, um, you know, by the time of his time, by the time of his end of his time there, we had a really athletic a really athletic team that could go out and compete with really any team in the country. Um, and so that, that was one of the things that stuck out to me right away. And huge fitness standards for the guys coming in, beep tests, you know, incredible scores on the beep test and uh, just being non-negotiable in a lot of ways, And uh, saying, "Look, you can either get on board here, or we're going to move on." And um, you know that was that was successful in some ways for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it sounds like he
0: had the right idea. But so your time at Cornell comes in, and you take the Keystone coach. You know what, or Keystone job? Excuse me. What did you learn, or kind of what similarities or traits? Were you kind of your favorite that you picked from all three coaches before Mm. and that you wanted to take when you had your own program?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think, yeah. So I think for, with, with, with George at TCNJ, a fantastic coach um, and a guy who lets the players own the game, right? So anyone who's been coached by George knows that he, he, he won't say a lot. He let he let you play a lot, right? Uh, which as players, that's what you love, right? You want to play. Uh, not to say that we right. played all the time, but I can certainly remember playing and small-sided games, and just those are so enjoyable as a player, right? And uh, and right. then he would make his coaching points with these really pointed questions, sometimes in very sharp ways um, to to the guys in the field. And I think everyone got the point, right? Everyone learned the lesson, and in, in, in that in that way of of just probing questions right and so i think one of the great things i learned from george was just not taking the game away from the players and and making sure that the game is in their hands and uh and that the the game is a great teacher and then you teach within the game right but not not making it so it's not uh not enjoyable right so making so it's so it is enjoyable in a way um and then with brian just just the people skills uh great people skills uh, a connector um great relationships with with his players and, um, and just how he, he managed the team, right. With his, with the alums and different things, just to see him kind of skillfully weave all the relationships that it takes to be a head coach um, was, was important. And uh, certainly a lot of things that I've done with our alumni um, here and just trying to connect people uh, were big parts of what he was doing um, at, at Cornell. And I took a lot of those ideas and I brought them obviously to Keystone with me. Um And so, and just with Yarrow, YaRO, uh, obviously the athleticism component, um, how demanding he was, um, how, how much work it really took to um, to manage the team in terms of meetings. And, right. and sometimes obviously the guys would probably say it was too much and a little a little bit, you know, too, too many um, demands or different things on their time, but to just really see how much it took, to, to be successful, right in terms of the intensity of, of the work and, and the meetings and, and everything that went into it and all the details that need to be sorted out in order to be successful in the field. Um, that coupled with obviously the physical demands and, and what it looked like for our strength and conditioning coach to get involved and, and you know obviously Yara was leading him in terms of here are the days of the week I want to lift and here and then he was within those those parameters, putting together the programs for our team and, and the lifting and, and just uh, seeing kind of the physical component of the game. And, um, and then just, uh, you know, I think really think, you know, this is before the days of, you know, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, the pressing, and obviously he was probably right. at Dortmund at the time, or maybe even just starting there. I don't know the years, but I mean, Yarrow was kind of, I don't, I, I guess in certain ways ahead of the curve in terms of, um, you know, the type of style and what it was, what it was requiring of the players from a physical standpoint and, and demanding that. And I, I think it, it paid dividends, you know, pretty quickly in the program.
0: For sure. For sure. So when you decided to to, just step away from Cornell Mm -hmm. and head over to Keystone in 2013 was your first season, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, so what, what was your kind of initial thought process in taking over now at a small school? I assume you understood, you know, you're essentially building your own program just because, you know, Keystone at that time in 2013, you know, mediocre team i would say yeah i'm um, sorry if that offends you but you know that's what you stepped into <laughs> Not offended, and then yeah yeah and then you know kind of you know where did you see yourself i guess and taking you know, taking over and then building that program
1: yeah so um yeah i mean the, the decision to leave cornell obviously left on great terms there and uh you know, we had, like I said, just uh, like you had said, just won the the Ivy League title there in 2012. So I thought it was a good stopping off point. Uh, we had, uh, you know, from a family decision, we wanted to, you know, move back closer a little bit to our families. And so it, this kind of represented a halfway point. Um, if you ask me, did I know what I was getting myself into? No, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> literally no idea. Um, you know, it's every program, every college has a different dynamic and a different um level of challenge. And, uh, you just don't know, you you know, you don't know kind of, um, you know, you can do your research, you can talk to different people, but you don't know until you're actually in it. And, um, you know, that said, I, uh, I was just wide open to, you know, whatever it was, it was, it was my first head coaching job. And so you take everything that you've learned and you take all of the lessons that I've just spoken about, and then you have to put them together in kind of a cohesive way. And, and uh, say, okay, this is this is my program now. What are the things that I'm gonna, you know, build this program on? And um, yeah, but you don't know. I mean, you you just right, you can't right. prepare for being a head coach. I, I don't think you're ever truly truly ready. I mean, I knew I wasn't ready to become a Division One head coach when obviously you said the job transitioned over at Cornell. Uh, I felt like I was ready to be a head coach at that time, but you're just never truly ready. You have to get into it. You have right. to learn. Uh, you have to make mistakes. You have to uh, figure out what works, what doesn't work, and it's all dependent upon the team that you have and the guys that you're coaching and and uh, and just kind of getting buy-in from them. I think that's the biggest thing right off the bat is I can remember getting hired in the summer. It was July and uh, late in the process, and you got no recruits, and you don't know what's going on, right. and you're trying to get names from the athletic director or from different people. And so, um, you know, you just start to – Piece it together, you know, day by day, moment by moment, trying to build just little, little moments of of connection with whether it's incoming guys or the or the, uh, the the returning guys. And you know, I knew from talking to people that there were you know a couple key guys that I needed to connect with in terms of rising seniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny O'Rourke, our goalkeeper, our Irish goalkeeper, mm-hmm. was one of them. Yeah, I you remember, Danny and uh, Julio was I think a junior at the time, and so some of the key yeah, players yeah. of of, the, of those teams. And so you just start to, you know, call them on the phone. And I wasn't even here yet, and and start to just right. tr- find those moments and and, and and learn, right? I mean, I think I think as a as a the head coach, you're just learning. You're constantly learning, and particularly no 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 time more than when you're taking over a program that they know way more than you about. And so I think right. you bring your ideas and then you're just you need to learn as much as you can learn in a short amount of time and then you marry the two and start going okay well i think this is what and you listen to them what do you think the program needs and then you you listen to other guys and sometimes they're totally opposite so now you have right, a choice right. you got to figure out okay well what do you think would align best with kind of your style and your philosophy and and you just start to you start to build some sort of cohesiveness within within a group and you're not a team yet, you know, you, until you meet for that first day and you introduce yourself and say, you know, here's who I am and here's what I want us to be about. Um, you just don't know. You don't know. Right. Yeah. You know, I think actually,
0: if I'm remembering correctly, it was Julio, my freshman year, who just scored a, an absolute wonder goal on me in overtime to win. Um, I think it was Julio from, I mean, I, I I was terrible at that time. You know, I miscleared it, went like right to him at center field. And I'm just like casually strolling back in and he just blasts one, like, top ends and yeah. that was the game but yeah. um you know but yeah no i mean i i like how you asked the guys that were already there kind of what the program needs and where it's going because i'm sure they cared and wanted to win but um for point of reference i mean i mean before we get even get into that you know what were some of the first maybe three three top three priorities entering in that you wanted to achieve in maybe let's say the first two or three years
1: yeah well i'll be honest my my top priority when i first got there was i had to put a team on the field <laughs> and uh it wasn't maybe a good priority Yeah, that's probably a good priority for any coach out there who's just taking over a program hopefully you don't take over a program like that but um I did and uh and that's no that's no uh, indictment on the players that were in there they were fantastic and uh you know did did what they what they had to do that first year um but it that was at risk you know and I found myself recruiting um late uh to, to try and bring guys in and then recruiting on campus, you know, literally going and walking around campus and and seeing if there was, you know, maybe a guy who's wearing Adidas sweatpants that looks like a soccer player get right. <laughs> involved. And, and I say that, but you know, um, I, I got some good, really good guys. Uh, one of them being Argit, uh, who who played on that first team with me. Um, from just being on campus, you know, and maybe they had played or they had some experience playing and say, hey, you know, they give it a shot, we got low numbers and to come on out. So I think obviously putting together a team and making sure that your priorities are in the right place and not expecting, uh, you know, uh, the world when what you're trying to do is actually put a team at the other to compete. Um, but I think obviously that was priority number one. But then priority number two is establishing, um, you know, discipline, discipline within the group um, that what, what we say we're going to do and this is how we're going to treat each other and if you can do that then we'd love for you to be a part of it and if you can't do that then i don't think you can be a part of it and um, i think i think early on very early on you you have a limited amount of time to set your your culture or your philosophy or however you want to the way that you want your team to run right Um, and, and you need to, you need to be committed to those things early on. And that's very hard to do as a coach because you're usually, uh, well, in my case, you know, unless you're taking over a great program, you're usually losing because there was a reason the program, you know, probably turned over at a certain point in time. And, um, and, and you want nothing more than to win. And you know that you need to win just in, in in order to get some buy-in from the team, but you can't let the priority of winning take precedence over. This is how we're going to act. And uh, I'll give you a quick a quick story. We were, um, we were on our way to our first tournament, my first year, 2013. Um, the previous coach had set up a tournament out in Ohio. And, uh, you know, we had a small budget. And so we're taking uh, vans out there uh, terribly. Yeah, I think it yeah. was seven hours we drove out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really tough, really tough. But uh, on the way out there, I saw a tweet come through um, from one of our current guys, one of our freshmen. And uh, it was inappropriate. It was really inappropriate. And, uh, so, I uh, got together my assistant coach that night when we got to the hotel and I said, look, we can't, he, he can't play uh, again. I think we were going out there with, I don't know, 15 players, maybe, maybe, um, uh, one of my guys had to stay behind. So I think we were down to maybe 15 or 14 guys at the time. And, uh, this was one of our best freshmen and, uh, just, just had to suspend him, you know, I told him, look, like he was, he was on the trip. He was on the van. So we couldn't, we couldn't bring him home at the time. He was with us, but, um, you know, just told, got him there and, and went to his room and said, look, you're suspended. And if you do that again, you're done and you won't be a part of this program anymore. And that's, that's, I mean, it, love it, it, I love it. it sounds like, well, of course you would do that. It was, uh, he made an inappropriate comment about one of his teammates on, on social media, but man, when you're under the pressure of just getting there to a team and, wanting to get things going in the right direction um that's a little bit harder to do than it may than it may sound and um i never forget we i think we lost seven nothing the first day um and then we lost we were losing i think six nothing the next day uh, obviously we were dead tired we had no bodies we had no subs um I, my guys up in the stand suspended you know and uh, so we're down to 11 guys one of my guys goes down with an injury uh, we take him off the field. The referee comes up to me, says, uh, Hey coach, you going to make a sub? I look up and down my bench. I go, no, we're good. So, <laughs> you know, we played with 10, Jeez. we played with 10. Right. And, uh, and so I think we lost seven, nothing that game too, or eight, nothing. And, uh, that was the beginning. And that's what we dealt with. We didn't, we didn't win a game until our, uh, I think our, maybe our 14th game or something. We were, I don't know, or 13th game. I think it was 12 and one or something like this. And, uh, but when we got that first win, that was like it was it was like we'd won the World Cup again. It was Julio. i right. talking about Julio who uh, who scored the right. overtime overtime game winner against uh, in a, against the and um, and uh, you know we we got a little momentum from that, and one of one of a few of our games later in the season and snuck into the playoffs as an eight seed and uh, yeah. or a six seed, I forget whatever it was, and right, uh, right. as the final seed, and um, and you know uh, kind of turned a program or or, or a season that was kind of uh, tough on the record front into into at least something the guys could be proud of so that was that was the, those were the early stages and those were those were building moments and certainly built character in me to be able to withstand some things that you just don't think you're going to go through but that you you know you've been dealt and you say okay we're going to make the most of it yeah no i mean absolutely and then you know
0: We saw it year after year, you know, you, you just kept building the program into, you know, having conference rookie of the years, conference player of the year, conference defensive player of the year. I mean, you name it, you got guys on, you know, those guys performed for you. So what I want to know is, you know, how did you go about in those first couple of years, just creating that buy-in and getting those guys to trust in you as a coach that you're going to, you know, lead them to, to now where you have F and repeating as CSAC champions. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, and I don't know if there's a formula, uh, and there wasn't a formula. I can tell you that, right. um, in terms of, uh, how, how you go about doing it. I think for me, it, it, it boils down to, um, again, I'll talk about the vision, the vision that I set for, for what I wanted the, 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 program to be, um, you know, year to year. Right. And, uh, and then the types of people that you get involved and, and one of the, the, one of the, best principles that I've had, and it sounds so simple, and, and but it's true, is I try to get as many good people into the program as possible. That means managers, that means assistant coaches, that means players, of course, are the most important ones. But if I can take a chance to get a good person into the program, I will do it. Um, and, and, and so that means that taking guys that, okay, maybe soccer-wise, they're okay, and uh, maybe I can see that they're clearly not going to help us early, um you know they're going to need a couple of years but if they have a certain character and a certain work, act, work ethic and they're going to be willing to put the work in um we're going to take a chance on that guy and we're going to try and get him involved because um i think when you put that many people and you keep building good people around each other um the, the end result is something that you uh you feel really good about and and has a chance to be successful um, but to back to the the first couple years how how did we do it? Well, so I told you the story about the Cornell, can you see it? And and trying to cast a vision right. for where not the program is, but where I think the program can be. And that was exactly what I did with that first recruiting class. So I figured out obviously 2013, it was a tough year record-wise. We sw- sweeped into the playoffs at the end, but then it was full-time recruiting. Every everything that I I need to bring in a huge class. I need to bring in the guys that are gonna be kind of the what what we would call the cultural architects of the team in terms of the Mm. the guys that are going to build, build that that culture. Right. And, um, and so my emails to them, my correspondence to them was look, here's who we were this year. Um, but here's where we're going. And, um, do you want to be a part of an uncommon program? And by uncommon meaning, um, uh, we're going to, we're going to treat people the right way. Uh, we're going to push you out of your comfort zone. We're going to make you grow as a soccer player, but then also as a person. And um, and it's going to be uh, not just about winning games, but it's going to be about uh, great relationships and to make sure that that you have an enjoyable experience here. Right. And uh, can you see that? Does that sound like you right. want to be a part of that? And um, Love it. a lot of a lot of people, you know don't respond back or didn't want to be a part right. of it. And, and, uh, you know, we got it wrong in that first class too. Right. I mean, in terms of, you know, some characters and different things, because anytime you're, you're recruiting that many guys, you maybe particularly with no assistant coach or, or limited assistant coaches, you're, you are stretched for your time. But I knew a right. the class needed to be big, but more importantly, it needed to have uh, guys that kind of saw that vision of what we were casting. And, um, you know, in that class was, was, uh, you know, Um, A lot of guys that were part of that team, that that, well, all of those guys were part of the team that went to the the CSAC championship game in 2017. That was their senior year. And uh, so they they got to see kind of the culmination of obviously not not the whole culmination because we would have liked to have won that. But uh, a lot of the culmination of their work and, and building that culture that they built. And then that new class of guys came on top of it. And it was just one class after another of making sure that guys understood what the expectations were. And I think, you know, Jesse, one of the things that, that we start every, every year, every team meeting with, in fact, I did this with our team the other day, uh, including the new guys was, um, telling them the part of being a part of Keystone soccer is a privilege, not a right. And, um right. and any of us, me included, uh, if we, if we don't act in a certain way or we act out of character for what we're expecting, then you forf- then you forfeit the right to be a part of the program, coaches included. Right. And so. Absolutely. I think, I think just setting that mentality of, of understanding that this is not something that you take for granted. Cause when I got here to Keystone, that was a lot of the feedback that I got. All oh, guys, walk over right. the program. If they don't want to play in the spring, they, they, they say, I'm not playing the spring. And then, you know, they're back out there in the fall and <clears throat> different things like this. Right. And so I knew, I knew that the program needed to be treated in a better way. And there needed to be a, a little bit of a higher standard in terms of what the expectation was. And not, not again, this is not to say we always get it right. Cause we certainly don't, but I think the, the expectation that the guys understand each player that's come to play at Keystone for me, at least would understand that, okay, you know what, this is, this is something to be, to be taken care of, to be cherished. And ideally when we leave, it's in a better spot than where we found it. Right.
0: Love it. I love it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're definitely doing all the right things and and I think, you know, just for me, from just being able to, well, for first play against you, and then coach on the opposite sideline, you know, I've, it was pretty awesome just to see where you took that program in 2013 yeah. to, you know, where it is now. And even, you know, on the come up, I remember my junior year, I'm like, oh boy, like just one year after you, you know, you're in, I'm like, oh God, these guys are for real. Like here, here we go again. And then, you know, even my senior, I'm like, okay, you know, we, we squeaked out another victory, but then, you know, you can see it in, you know. Like you mentioned, you got to the championship that senior year, that first recruiting class, and you could see year after year how how much they were growing. So, you know, it seems like you were building the right culture. And how were you going about, you know, when you're choosing a captain, what are you doing? Or one, what are you looking for in that captain? And then how do you create success for that captain in in building that internal leadership?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, You know, and, and, and I don't... So I don't, I don't, think I have a hard and fast rule in terms of how do I choose a captain? I think, I, and, I, and I think I've evolved a little bit on this, you know, some years we've had captains here because I think, you know, definitely early on in my tenure, it was like, well, that's, that's what you do. You know, I've never been a part of a program that hasn't had a captain, right. right? Um, and then you're reading and you learn different things and you're trying to kind of, um, evaluate that process again. And, you know, I, i I found it difficult. We've had, we've, and I don't know if it's this generation or just, you know, certainly maybe, uh. Uh, some of the teams I've had or so on, but you know, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, I, I don't know if it's harder these days than it was back when I was uh, a captain or whatever, but in terms of peers kind of telling peers what to do, you know, that that's, that's a really, really. offensive yeah. in, in a lot of ways, right. In terms of like, well, I'm, yeah. I'm me and you're you and you do you and I'll do me. And so, you know, we've had all those different dynamics that you've tried to uh, we've tried to manage and, and to make sure that it wasn't forced. It wasn't, you know, the coach forcing this cause that, that never goes well. And so there have been years here where we haven't necessarily had captains in a way, uh, maybe a leadership group, uh, maybe. a. Right. Uh, and then, there, of course, there's years that we had captains, you know, some great captains here um, that, that have led teams well and 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 made sure. But but I think it, it works if they have a certain, obviously, there needs to be a certain standard that they set in terms of the level that they bring, um, a certain amount of leadership and, and and poise to what they do, and, and then the, that they have the respect of their peers. Right. So um, I think every team's different. And, and sometimes you have a guy that it's just a no brainer, right? He's, he's a mentality, a, a, um, talent, a ability. And you're going, well, like, there's no one that couldn't follow this guy, you know? Um, right. Right. Um, or, you have moments where it's, you know, a mentality, but the talent or the consistency of being in the lineups maybe not so much there. And so maybe in those moments you have maybe, like I said, a leadership group or or a rotating group that, that leads. But I think we've had we've had, like I said, leadership groups here, we've had captains. Um, but the the thing that I try to do with, with whether it's a group of people or it's a captain or two captains or so on, is to try to support them in a way where um, they feel empowered. Um, and I haven't done a great job of this at times, but then also that I'm not putting things onto them that, that I should be taken care of too. Right. Right. Um, in terms of not putting them in situations where you need to do this or this. Um, and I think I've learned a lot, you know, I, I think a couple times I remember going over and, and pulling them over and saying to them, Hey, I think you guys should bring the group in. You know, I, I wanted them to take ownership of it. Right. So you, you make the mistake of kind of allowing the group, to know that you've given them the the idea of the ownership and uh and it didn't go well you know they're like oh they coach will you do that? you're only doing that because coach will you do it you know and so then you get a little bit smarter and you you bring them in before practice so they can't hey guys you know this is one of those practices that that could you know maybe it's a uh, early afternoon practice where they're just getting off of class and I always hate those because there's no one if no one's focused and it's there's just too right. much they're still up on a on a buzz from their academic day or whatever and um and it's not focused so I would bring them in before the practice and tell the guys hey you know so, so this is one of those practice that that could be uh difficult for guys to focus let's bring them in right before the dynamic warm up and make sure that you know just talk to them for 2 minutes and just tell them what the expectation is right Um, so just little moments like that where you learn and you get better and and then it empowers them a little bit more to feel like, okay, yeah, coach did give us that idea, but you know what, we're going to, we're going to do it on our own. And it's not going to be a, a, you know, that, that coach told us to do that, but we can, we can take the idea for our own and then, and go and, and motivate the group. Um, so just little examples like that, where you try to, you try to give them ownership and. And a lot of times I'll just meet with my seniors as well. Like I remember last year, 2019, just just bringing the group in, like, you know, midway through the year and going, guys, hey, I, I think, you know, we, we, we have some, some, uh, some weaknesses. You know, we have some weaknesses that we're not looking at. One of the examples I gave was that, you know, there's a that verse in the Bible about um, having a plank in your eye. And I remember I, I hit my team with it last year. I think they thought I was crazy, but it's going like, <laughs> guys, we got, we got, you know, we're, we're not seeing the plank in our own eye. We're worried about everything else, but we, we're, we're not seeing our own shortcomings right now. And unless we fix these. Right. We're gonna we're gonna not achieve our potential. And so I I brought our senior group in. And I said, what do you guys think about this? And they're like, yeah, we yeah, we agree. We we understand. We need to, we need to change the mentality a little bit, coach. And so I think it's it's and it's with different groups, you know, I mean I've I've struggled with sophomores because, you know, first year guys are they're first year guys. They don't know. And and so they're like, I'll sit on the bench, you know, I'm just a young guy. But once right. sophomore year hits and you're getting towards halfway through your your college career and you're not getting the minutes that you want or you're you know not in the position that you want it that it, it that that's a little bit harder to take and so you know one of the things i'm going to do this year is meet with all our rising sophomores and make sure they understand the expectations again and and so just you know just seeing different trends as you've coached for a few years now to see how those things um some of the things that you can head off some of the issues that you've had that you can head off with with maybe uh, better communication you know
0: Absolutely. So, once you know, once you finally kind of got over that speed bump, you won the CSAC. Then you've repeated. What, you no? Know, what were the emotions like for you after that first championship? And then, how great was was the the second one back to back?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's the first one is euphoric in that way because you've we right. you were close in seventeen, and and then obviously got over the hump in eighteen, and and were able to 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 win. Um, and then it was so hard. I think it's, I think it's harder to repeat than it is to, to, uh, to win it the first time in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is, is, um, we, we didn't talk a lot about one of the things that I framed for our guys was that we weren't defending anything last year. You know, we weren't defending a CSAC title. I, I would tell them all the time. All right, not all the time actually. I told him at the beginning of the year and I said this is the last time we're going to talk about this. You know, what what's done is done. You know, 2018's plaque sitting mm-hmm. in the office somewhere, I don't know, you know. And uh no one wants that anymore. Right. So that's not going to help us do anything this year. And I think it's just if one thing if it, there's one thing that I've done, it's it's been been resetting the mentality, you know, after after every game, really. And saying, okay. "Look, and and I think one of one of the one of the things that good teams do is they don't they don't lose two games in a row, you know. And I think that that. that, that, that's one of the things that we focused on is just resetting the mentality and and making sure that we're focused on the next game and 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 you know I guess you you would say the process right of of not talking about winning we don't want to we don't have to necessarily do anything special other than we just need to work day by day and then those results hopefully take care of themselves obviously there's a lot of outside of your control Um, but just just to make sure that the the process of of being able to win is in place. And sometimes we get away from that. And then we have to be brought back to that, you know, and then that was one of the conversations that we had this year. And, uh, and sometimes you you're, you're still winning, but, but the, there's certain things that you see slipping that need to be brought to their attention and brought to our attention as a group and and make sure that we get back to, to the things that are going to lead you to sustained success. But I mean, it was euphoric. It was amazing to, to the, the thing that makes you happiest as a coach is Yes, of course you're part of it, and you're you're you know seeing them celebrate, and you're you know part of this group. But to see how happy they were, and to see how many people were happy for us, that's almost the coolest part. When people are jumping on the field and running out and hugging, and and people are photo bombing your team pictures and different things, like (laughs) that's that's awesome because it means that other people are invested in your success, and they're happy for you, and they're happy for the guys and for all the work that they put in, and so you know it it was amazing to win was was amazing and we feel very grateful to have done that two years in a row um but it, it's we're after bigger things than just winning to be honest I, I want I want guys that are that are um you know that they value their time in the program they look back and they say that was incredible and I have some great relationships from that time and um and so we you know the 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 anyone who's won and you won csac titles uh jesse so so you understand but you know, it's, it's that universal truth that the euphoria doesn't last, right? Right. The championship t-shirt gets lost somewhere and the plaque sits on the shelf. But so you have to almost have a little bit of a deeper reason for, for why you do what you do, because, um, it's, it it lasts, the the euphoria lasts for a few days and then it's kind of like, well, we have to go and now we have to prepare for this or we have to, you know, it's on to the next season or the next recruiting class. And so it's a cyclical thing, um, which is natural. But I think if you're right. not if you're not in it for you know bigger reasons than just that euphoria, once you get to that, you go, oh, that was it. And so right.
0: you, you have to be right. careful
1: not to put too much stake in just the winning. But I think what you find out, anyone who's been a part of athletics, of course, knows that the the fun and the, and the life of it is almost in the journey of it, right? And uh, right, I know we boil sure. a lot of our seasons down to one game or one one uh, accolade or one championship or something like that, but I think. As coaches, we we have to have a little bit of a bigger view in terms of the the fun is in the journey, and if, and if it's not fun um, and enjoyable, then what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? Right,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, after our championships, we uh, we got to play Messiah in the first round of the NCAA tournament, so we got brought back down to earth real quickly. <laughs> but um, right. you know, so the the last question I want to want to end with is. After leaving TCNJ, after leaving Cornell, and you know, if you leave Keystone, wherever you go, what do you want your players to say about you as a person, as a coach?
1: Wow. Deep. Um, yeah, no, I mean that, but but that's 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 why we coach in you know, in a lot of ways in right. terms of the relationships, and and I think, um, I think one of the things that that I always try to stress to my guys, and I guess how I would like to be remembered, I guess you would say. Is that um, I have I see every guy as unique and every guy as bringing something to the table. So what? So one of my favorite jobs as a coach is giving people a place to belong, right? So whether that's players, whether that's managers that weren't soccer players but that you know were friends with a couple guys on the team and wanted a place to you know maybe they you know they didn't have a place to belong at Keystone yet in terms of a club or of whatever you know a, a place to belong socially, and so. Um, I love giving people a place to belong, and 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 allowing them to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think at the core of that is that because I see each person as unique and each person as as um you know special in a way, and that they each have a potential right. that they need to that they can achieve. And so I think one of the things that that I strive to do, and one of the things that I would hope my players would say about me, um, is that um, he respected me. He had a respect for me. He cared about me genuinely, not, not, Mm -hmm. not as a person that can help us do something. Right. Cause I think that, that gets, that, that gets found out pretty quickly. Right. Right. That they, they followed me or, you know, what I was trying to do with our program because they wanted to, and that they felt genuinely cared about. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I, I invested in them and tried to get them a little further along in their development. And I think, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't think every guy would probably feel that way. Um, I think as coaches, we all face that reality that you connect with guys, some guys better than others. But I right. would think I would hope that for a large majority of the guys that I've coached, uh, they would say that I genuinely cared about them and that I was not using them as a pawn to my own success or as a pawn to Keystone success so that, you know, I could get something out of them, but that I wanted to build something into them that they could take with them, you know, for, for their for their life. You know, it's that, it's that adage that, you know, are your players successful? Well, I don't know. Ask me in 20 years, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, right. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, I know that's, that gets thrown around around a lot, but I, I think genuinely, I, I, I would like to think that they know, uh, which is true that I care about each one of them, that they are unique. They're special and that, you know, if I can get them a little further along, like I said, in their development, then, then I, I feel like I've done some, done them a, a favor
0: absolutely well joe i appreciate you taking the time um you know hopefully there's a fall season and unfortunately i'll have to say hopefully centenary wins the conference but i do w- want to wish you the best of luck and you know hopefully at least you guys meet in the championship because you know <laughs> yeah. our, i think our, i think our last probably you know six or seven matches have been one or two goal games so they you know it's always making of a, of a nice little rivalry so but again seriously thank you i appreciate this and uh hope you're staying safe
1: yeah thanks for having me jesse i appreciate it. it was very enjoyable today
0: Of course. Thank you.